You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 184 of the Pimp Crown Warhammer podcast, and we are brought to you today by my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling, extremely fertile, extremely potent Patreon members, and I greatly appreciate it to support the show. I would really, really appreciate it if you would. It's patreon.com slash pimpcron. And also, the fine fellows and fellets at gamemat.eu and their pre-painted terrain, and their neoprene mats, and all of that stuff, their STL files. It is a great organization, and I love the owner. He's been super nice, super supportive of Shorehammer this whole time, and supportive of the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast. I think he's been an advertiser for two years, so they're really good people. Anyway, what are we talking about tonight? We have a main topic of just highlighting some real cringy whiners on Facebook about Warhammer 40k, and I, boy, I love whines, and I love cringes, so that is a fun time. And some of them are just way off base, including one guy doesn't know how babies are made. So, assuming an adult does not know how babies are made. Uh, unironically, he more or less proves that. So... <laughs> And then we have a Tesseract mailbox from Emmanuel, and he happens to be one of the opponents in my third round of that tournament, and he sings my praises and gives me the only time I've ever had any real proof one of my stories was true. Um, he validates everything I said about us keeping our cool, even though the first turn was devastating to our army. So, he writes in, that's really cool, I love to hear fanfare for the... Uh, Old Pimpcron. And also, we are looking at all of the Lord of the Rings miniatures and their pricing for from Games Workshop. And just, like, there's some questionable stuff there, but we'll just get into that during that segment. What have I been up to? Well, I am moving and shaking in the direction of now that, you know, COVID is lessened and yada yada, um, I want to start having guests on again. So I don't know who I will have on, but if you want to be a guest, email me at pimpcron, with two Ps, at gmail.com, and we can set something up, whether you have a business, or, you know, you have a project you're working on, or you just want to talk Warhammer, we can do it via Skype, etc., etc. Um, I'm also in talks with a couple different people to be back on the show for the first time in a while, one of them being Mick Storman. Uh, he wants to get back on the show, and I'm excited to have him back. And then uh, Beastman, or Goatman, mentioned it a couple times, and other things. So it's not just going to be me all the time from now on. I'm going to try to pepper in some new people. and Or maybe some people you just haven't heard from in a long time. Just James, I don't know if he's going to be back on or not. Um, to be honest, as much fun as he has when he's recording, it's hard to nail him down. It's like... I don't know. I don't know why, but he's he's a busy man. So, what have I been up to? Well, this past week, I had a Age of Sigmar game with my Tomb Kings army versus TJ's uh the vampire army now. What is that called? The I can't even think of what they're called, but you get you get what I'm saying. The vampire army that's new and um I felt really bad. Typically, TJ does not roll like his father, Tim, does. I've mentioned, I think, last episode that Tim rolls hot garbage. TJ, on the other hand, a lot of times can call his shots. He's like, uh, all right, sixes, and he rolls sixes. Like, he's just, there's some sort of witchcraft going on there. I don't know what it is. 
Um, I don't know what gods he's pleasing in his spare time, but it often works for him. And I gotta tell you, with his knights and his vampire lord on the dragon, my tomb kings have almost, well, pretty much no rend at all. Like, everything is damage one and rend nothing. And it was hilarious turn after turn. He's like, what's the rend? I'm like, nothing. He's like, what's the damage? I'm like, one. Like, nothing has multi-damage in my army, practically. But the problem is... His dice seem to forget how to roll a three or higher. He, at one point, I think it was like five three-ups he failed. He rolls like five dice and fails them all. He might have rolled six dice and made one of them, but the point was it was like five failed three-ups. It was, it was very bad. The lack of rend did not hurt me at all, and the lack of multi-damage did not hurt me at all, because he could not save Jack all. Even extremely rarely his death will save, he was just not having a good night. And meanwhile, I was rolling baller. Have I ever mentioned to you how anytime I really care about winning a game, such as, I don't know, a tournament with my Tyranids three weeks ago... Uh, I roll hot garbage, you know, like with my Tyranifex for two straight games who didn't even kill a model, and yeah, yeah, I, I roll hot garbage when I actually want to win. And meanwhile, I'm just chilling with my friend TJ at the club, and we're playing a casual game. I could not give a crap whether or not I won, and it ended up, <laughs> maybe this will tell you something about me, uh, we were in turn three or four, and the game was going so horrible for him that I called it. I'm like, okay, you want to just call it, because this is, what had happened was, is he had a really good start at the beginning of it. He scored a lot of points at the beginning, but we were at that crucial pinnacle where he, um, you know that I'm starting to catch up to you now, and you have uh, the lack of board control, that you just can't, you simply cannot uh, keep scoring the way you were, and I am now scoring the way you were. So, by turn, I think he was thir turn three, I basically tied his score. I think I was beating him by one, or he was beating me one by one. But we could look at the board, and I was like, dude, I'm feeling terrible about this game. You're not having fun, and to be honest, I'm not having any fun. So let's just let's just call it. And he agreed to it. And I just felt, I just felt awful. And it has nothing, and this is one of the cheapest wins. This is what those power gamers would be like, whack it off to, because they're like, oh, I won. But... It's not, it's not me who won. I am, I rolled so many sixes. I mean, so many. It was ridiculous. And it's like, that's not, that's not me. I, it wasn't my strategy. It was a dice roll. You know, just like his strategy, his strategy was actually good because he was scoring lots of points at the beginning of the game. He, he did, I can't really call it an alpha strike, but he made really good decisions and movements in the beginning to take a lot of board space. But when you can't make a single save and when I'm saving legitimately everything, um, I don't think he killed a single unit in my entire army in three turns. Like, and Tomb Kings have five up saves and six up saves across the board, and he just couldn't do anything. So it's it was very frustrating for both of us, and I was not enjoying it. So uh, we called it, and um, I think it was like twelve to eleven or something. It was it was within one point of each other, and I just felt absolutely awful. So that was my game. Um, been working on Brutal Space, which is exciting. I'm still doing my What Hammer sketches on YouTube that are about one minute long. They come out every Wednesday. And it's this week was Age of Sigmar, and there was Flesh Eater Quartz. So that's what that was. Usually it's 40k. It's probably 70-30, 40k AOS. But 
It's um, it's always a different topic and whatnot, and they're one minute long, so please check them out at Pimcron TV with one P, Pimcron TV on YouTube, because uh, I need some encouragement. You know, I'm tiny, tiny, microscopic guppy in a giant ocean, and uh, it's, it's hard to get your voice out there. So I do know that after last episode, um, some of you did actually subscribe, and I appreciate it, because it was like the, ep- the podcast comes out on Monday, and suddenly I've got a handful of subscribers. So I, I do greatly appreciate that um, for all of you. Uh, what else? I also played a brutality game with my daughter Gabby and Kaylee, and we did... Um, it was actually more like Gabby. She's the eight-year-old. And uh, we played Predators, like from the movies Predator. Um, Predators versus Actors. And it was hilarious. The war band I had, I think I've probably mentioned before, has a uh, actor troupe. They're like a traveling theater band. And uh, they were being hunted by the Predators and they had to get away. And it was a very fun game. Uh, we ended up tying two to two. And I was trying to actually, instead of pushing her through it, instead of telling her, oh, you should move there, you should do this, I started, this is the first time ever, now that she's old enough to start thinking rationally about strategy, I started asking her, okay, well, you know, if this is the case here, what do you do? Do you think you should do this or should you think you should do that? And she pretty much always picked the right choice when she's given, I feel like children have to be channeled a little bit into two options. Instead of making her come up with the options of retreat or run or shoot or whatever, you should give them two options and see what they pick. And then when they pick the less optimal one, you should be like, well, you can do that, but this and explain why it works that way. So uh, that's what I did. And uh, she seemed to really enjoy it. And I certainly had a blast. So it was very fun. All right. Well, that's about all I've been doing is working on Brutal Space. And um, that's about it. So Brutal Space is the next thing for Brutality that's coming out. Although it's technically not Brutality, but it's in the Brutal family of games, which is what I'll be calling it, or the Brutality family of games. And it's similar to, you know, Warhammer and 40k and Epic and uh, Battlefleet Gothic. All of that's like in the same genre, but it's different formats of games. Well, this is the same thing. It's a similar uh, game format, a lot of the same abilities and upgrades and whatnot, but it's a completely different style of game where you're fleet battles. So that will probably be my next release. And I'm also at the same time working on um, Diceless Brutality, and I'm also going to be working on, or I am working on the short story collection. So, all right, enough about me. Let's get on with the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey, this is Tesseract mailbox, and we've got a very special email. It's a self-aggrandizing email, which is preaching my virtues and my values, and I am just pleased. It actually comes to me at shorehammer at gmail.com. I guess because he already had that email, and um, he attempted to go to Shorehammer this past year, and he bought the tickets and all that, but at the last minute, something came up and he couldn't go. But he ended up being one of the two people that were in my last round of that tournament I went to. The third round people. Remember the people I told you that really should have been, like, top three of the tournament, but they messed up on the second round with their score, and they they misread the missions, so then they ended up in my bracket, which is where they should not have been. 
And then they trounced us, and I had to beg them to save Pimkron and, and all of that. Um, this guy was the other half of that, the less vocal half, but he was extremely nice. His name is Emmanuel, and uh, he gave us candy, and he was just very friendly the whole time. He was the Imperial Guard half of this. He was not the Orc player. So I, of course, you know, as far as much as you know, I could have made up this email or whatever. You just have to take my word for it. But I was so happy that this is actual proof that my story is true. And if you'll recall the episode, A Tale of Two Tables, you know, keeping your cool or whatever it was, uh, the people next to us were losing their shit. And me and Josh were just like, whatever. And we played it off, right? Well, he actually wrote me an email the following day, and I didn't put it on last episode because Kojo's email took precedence because it was referring to the previous email. I figured this one could this one could wait until this week. So, he writes, Greetings, Scott. It was a real pleasure meeting and playing with you and Josh this past weekend. I am still relatively new to the game, six months. One of the memories that stands out to me from the tournament is how even though the first turn started out poorly for your team, you still kept such a light mood and made it a fun game for everyone. You are my new role model for how this game should be played. I just thought you should I just thought I should let you know that and his smiley face. See you fellows in November. Sincerely, Emmanuel. So, you may have your suspicions that this is not a real email, but you will just have to ask him next Shorehammer if you go to Shorehammer, because this truly is a real email. And um, I remember him being very polite from when we... He had a bunch of questions, because like he says, he was like three months into the game at the time of Shorehammer, and he had a bunch of questions about force, or force organization and all of that. So we s sent back emails back and forth quite a bit about his list, and um, he was always very pleasant, very nice, so... I was pleasantly surprised when he was in my third round match, and I was equally pleasantly surprised when he sent me this email. So this is, like, legitimately the only time I've ever had proof that a story is real. This is the actual proof that Josh and I did not flip the table, even though we might have wanted to. <laughs> no, we didn't, so... So yes, Emmanuel, I don't know if you listened to the podcast or not. I did mention it to you in the email and um, said that I would put this on the podcast, etc. But I do greatly appreciate the email, and it was very fun playing against you. And uh, your teammate was much more serious about the game, but you were very chill. And you gave us candy. Now that is one of the secrets to a good tournament experience, is even though you crush your opponent on the first turn, what you do is you give them candy... And that makes everything better. Specifically, imported Swedish candy called <laughs> nut cream. <laughs> it seriously was called nut cream. And it was extremely good. It tasted like semen. I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it was actually really good. What it tasted like was uh, if you chewed up the sugar wafers. Have you ever seen those? Um, like, they're usually pink or they're orange in like the store and they're these like crispy wafer things and they've got like layers it's kind of like a Kit Kat but with no chocolate and they've got like layers of crunchy wafer and then there's sugar in between it's like if somebody took one of those and added some Nutella and chewed them up and spit them in a pouch and it was this creamy brown it was actually very very good so if you're ever in Sweden try some nut cream <laughs> <laughs> Just be careful where you order your nut cream from. Want that or want that not?
This is Want That or Want That Not, and I had some comments to make about the Lord of the Rings Middle-Earth strategy game whatever miniatures, okay? So I've just recently been looking at this uh, Quest of the Ringbearer supplement I already told you about, and it made me very nostalgic for Lord of the Rings. And I borrowed the Lord of the Rings DVDs from my friend Beastman, or Goatman, I forget what he goes by on here, Goatman. And um, we've been watching it with the kids, and Lord of the Rings is just a fantastic set of movies. I absolutely love them. We completely ignore the Hobbit series. No, that's those are stupid movies. But the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, Return of the King, uh, Two Towers, all that. They are just fantastic. To the point where I almost want to buy the Fellowship of the, Fellowship of the Ring uh, miniatures. The, just the group of them, you know, Gandalf and all. Because I'm like, man, that'd make a cool brutality uh, warband. But, I don't know if I'll ever do that. Not positive. But, I got looking, and like I said, a little nostalgia. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to look at this, uh, what's it called? Lord of the Rings Middle-Earth Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game. That's what it's called now. It was called different things at different times, so bite me, okay? The point is, is that the prices for these things are pretty crazy. Even, even compared to Warhammer 40k stuff. But then some of the prices seem fine. I I don't know. Like for instance, the Balrog is $85, I mean I'm sorry, $65 for the Balrog, which is a super iconic big monster character. You know, 65 bucks is not bad. I could see him being 100 or 85 or something like that. 65 bucks is not bad. Then you look at the Rohan Royal Knights Three cavalry models for sixty dollars. Sixty. Six zero. Each one of these guys is twenty dollars for a, a cavalry model. Good god. Then you've got the uh Urukai Scouts, which it looks to be about twenty of them in a box for forty-five dollars. So you get three for sixty. Or 20 for 45. Now, I'm certain there's different rules. You know, I'm sure the Rohan Royal Knights is much more, much better than the Urukai Scouts, guaranteed, right? But it's still just pretty nuts. I mean, the entire Fellowship of the Ring with Gimli and everybody, and Gandalf and everybody in the, in the main group, right? Every single one of them for $55. That's two, four, six, eight, nine different people for $55. You know, nine people, 55, yeah, whatever. Those are the most iconic models, right? So that kind of makes sense. Then you get to the Nazgul. The Nazgul is two, four, six, eight, nine models for $85. Like, I don't... So you're going to tell me that the most iconic characters in the entire story, what the story's about, those nine characters are $55, but nine somewhat generic-looking Nazgul are 85 Like, I just don't understand where this pricing scheme is. I just, I just don't get it. Now, maybe the Nazgul, obviously, are supposed to be super powerful, so I guess that's it. But from the outside looking in, I'm like, wow, that's, this is a, a very swingy price scale, isn't it? And the Nazgul, to be honest with you, I'm not... I like the Rohan, I like the Knights of Rivendell, I like the um, the different rangers, and the Fellowship of the Ring looks good, and the Rohan Royal Knights and the Balrog, and all this looks really good, but I kind of find the Nazgul to be a little boring, 
They're just... I know there wasn't much to them in the, the actual movie either, as far as they were just black-cloaked people with no face, right? They had a sword. But it just seems to me like, I don't know, these could have been better better models for sure. They're just kind of blah. And to be one of your main antagonists for the whole thing, I really feel like that could have been uh, done a little better, personally. So the Balrog, Balrog is one of the most well-known models in the series, right? A big baddie, he practically kills Gandalf, all that. Uh-oh, spoilers, sorry. If you haven't seen the 25-year-old movie, sorry for that. Point is... Is that, uh, <laughs> is that the Balrog is $65, which I think is pretty reasonable. What about a tree ent, right? The tree ent is a pretty big monster, right? $45. Okay, that seems like a pretty neat deal. Uh, I don't really like the ent model that much. It's kind of stiff. But hey, $45 does not seem bad. Let's go ahead and click on Smaug or Smog. I've, I've heard it pronounced both ways, Smaug. Um, Smog is the big dragon. Let me just... That was me throwing up. $687? Nearly $700? For Smog? I am beyond myself. I've never seen this. <laughs> so I guess it's resin it's got to be resin there's no way they charge that much for plastic and with his wings and everything he looks flimsy as hell so with that being resin good god good luck with all those spines on him and all of that that is not a model you play with that is a model that you flex on your friends with you say hey guess who's got a free 700 bucks or no better yet guess who just got his tax return and that is how you flex on your friends, with buying the, the Smaug model. Oh my god. I do not know what could possibly merit almost a $700 price tag for this. Because you've got some very big models in Warhammer, and they're plastic. I mean, Archeon and all of them, what's that, 125 700 is nuts. Like I told you, I don't know why. I don't know how much of this is metal, how much of this is resin or plastic. It's without clicking on every single one of them and going into the details and seeing what they finally crafted, sort of all plastic, without reading all that for each one of these. I don't know what they are. So also the metal price changes quite a bit and affects prices. But oh my gosh. So you can see that their models look fine. I do like their models and I do love the range. Um... If you're ever looking to use them in H of Sigmar, though, they are, they're not 28mm, they're more like 25mm. They're just a little smaller than you would like. So, when I first got into Warhammer, I thought about uh, using the Lord of the Rings orcs for a fantasy orc army, and it just does not work. They're just too small. They look like somewhere between a grot and an orc. So, anyway, uh, let's go on to the next segment. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Hey friends, it's the Real Talk with the Pentcron, and if you know anything about me, there's two things that I love in my life. It's not my family, it's not my children, it's not my friends. It is cringe and whining. And while I have been known to whine from occasion, right? But this is 
kind of next level stuff. And I, I truly enjoy it. There is a group called Winehammer Community on Facebook, and I am part of that group. And it is an unending source of entitled, out of touch Warhammer player whining. And it's fantastic. They collect it, they curate it, I should say. It is lovingly curated from all parts of the internet, whether it be YouTube comments or Reddit or whatever. And boy, is it interesting. So I wanted, I wanted to share a couple with you and just discuss them because I think they're pretty darn entertaining. So here's one from the Warhammer 40k fans group. It says, I might take some flack for this, but here goes. Is anyone else mildly pissed that GW finally put some money into production value for a Warhammer Plus show, but then decided to make it about the Tau? Like, really? If the Imperium actually cared enough, the war that would cause their extinction wouldn't even be significant enough to be called a crusade. I'm like, so are you saying that Warhammer is exclusively the Imperium? Because it truly is not. I've known multiple players in my lifetime that only play Tau. They don't even play Imperium armies or anything like that. So it's amazing to me that you would be so entitled that you think they should only be making Imperium content. And matter of fact, with my online sketches, it's a very easy rut to get into with just Imperium content. So I actively try to do Necrons or Age of Sigmar or Chaos or something like that so that it's just different. It's not all just Imperium, you know? But it's so funny to me that, I mean, Tau is a major faction. I could see if, well, actually, I couldn't really see any whining about this. They made a video for, for crying out loud. Like, you just, <laughs> how could you even complain about that? And also, I'm always excited and interested whenever they make something that is Xenos-related or Chaos-related or something other than the Imperium, because the Imperium obviously gets all the spotlight. So it's actually kind of a bold move for them to just make a towel-focused um, skit or short story, whatever. Um, I just thought that was interesting. So here's the next one. And I hope you haven't eaten today yet, because this is pretty rich, okay? The person uh, posts on 40k reason, 40,000 reasons to 3D print is the Facebook group. How I uh, have just found out that a fellow 3D designer, Turk187, who actually has his own cults page, is actively sharing my proxy Warmaster fi files. Suffice it to say, I'm absolute beside myself with anger and disappointment. I spent 1,000, I assume it means hours, 1,000 designing this, and he thinks he can just give it away. Unbelievable. To be honest, I really feel for this person, and I think they're completely in the right. I don't think this is really a com complaint, because they spent all of this time designing this model, right? And somebody else had the audacity to take their idea and their work and resell it or undercut them or give it away for free or whatever this Turk person was doing. Can you believe that? I mean, I just... I feel so bad for this 3D printer person that they are being undercut in this way. It's so interesting because they invested, maybe not money, but they invested a thousand hours into this STL file. And it must really hurt to have some sort of low-life pirate just take the work that you've done and give it away or sell it for much cheaper when they didn't do any work for it, or it's not their IP, or it's not their idea. Wow, that's, that is rough. 
Isn't it the 3D printer community that usually says GW should get over it when GW doesn't like them stealing their IPs? I kind of feel like that's the case. Oh well, on to the next one. This one doesn't actually say what Facebook group it was in, but obviously it was not in a Tyranids group because it shared the link for Warhammer Community, the new Tyranid Codex coming leak that they did, and the caption is, Another faction in the queue before us. So I'm assuming it's probably Chaos Space Marines. You know, Tau, I love to give Tau players a hard time because of the Weebos and the whatever, and Tau players always seemed very whiny, but by golly, I am on the fence about Chaos Marine players. Now, I am also a Chaos Marine player, and I see why they're upset, because a lot of times Chaos seems to get the short end of the stick. I mean, they still haven't gotten their two-wound update, etc., etc. I kind of get that. But on the other hand, they take every single opportunity to whine. Now, obviously, this isn't all Chaos-based Marine players, because I'm one of them, and I don't really care when we get a new book. But then again, I have many armies, so it's not just you know, my only army, and it would be somewhat frustrating all this time to everyone else get new books, and you still don't have one after all this time. So I do get that, and that can be frustrating, but it seems to me like the players that are always so concerned with getting a new codex, quote-unquote, are typically the power gamers, and don't feel bad if you also want a new codex, because obviously everybody wants a new codex, right? Deep down. But the people that constantly fret over it and complain about it and all of that, those people are the ones that need the new hotness. I need the most competitive, cheesiest whatever. And their cheese is now aging into, I don't know, a fine cheddar, but it's not powerful anymore. And that's what bothers them. That's the reason for most of those complaints. Now, the next one is also just another so out of touch complaint. They released the uh, leak for the Parasite of Mortex, which was one of my old favorite Tyranid models, right? They didn't actually have a model for it, so I had made my own just like everyone else did back in the day. But they are finally releasing a Parasite of Mortex model. It's a pretty cool looking model. It's not a giant monster, I don't think, but it's a pretty cool looking model and I will definitely be getting it because I like it. Yeah, a new model would have been better. They're recycling old material, finally giving it a model and calling it new. Well, I think you just pointed out the flaw in your own comment there. Yeah, they never had a model for it. So they have finally not only reinvigorated an old character that hasn't been around for two two editions, uh, but also they finally made a model for it. That's actually pretty cool. I always like when they call back to old, like the Red Gobba was a real old character and a bunch of... Uh, characters they've kind of brought back. I love that. I think that's really cool, especially when they didn't have a model to begin with. So I really don't know what the point of complaining is. And I'm not exactly certain what the Parasite of Mortex does now, because I don't follow all that stuff as far as rules. But I remember the Parasite of Mortex was really cool back in the day. It was a psychic creature. It had Ripper Swarms coming out of models and stuff. It was really neat. So I'm excited to see what they do in the new Codex. But you really should not be complaining about that. It still is new material. Now, this next one, okay? This is the case where the public school system has failed us. And maybe parents all around have failed us. This one is a juicy. Someone writes, 
What someone does is their thing and I don't care, but female space marines in the lore are not canon for one thing. Gene seed is made from the DNA from the Primarch and those are male. You cannot combine male and female DNA as far as I know. It's genetics. <laughs> oh man. Wait until this grown man discovers sex because he will realize that you you really can combine male and female DNA. Oh man. Tell me you're an incel without telling me you're an incel. Finally, this last one is just annoying on so many different levels. Have you ever met that person that uses emojis in their text? And I don't mean like a smiley face or a heart or something like that. I mean like for some reason they feel the need to add the emoji after the word they just used. I'll I'll explain. I know that hashtag Games Workshop used to make a paint, and now a emoji of a paint palette, on primer called Imperial Primer. I found out that it is no cross-out symbol longer made by GW. I do not cross-out symbol like spray on primer. I will not cross-out symbol use spray on primer either. What is a good brand of black cat, black heart, black paint paint palette on uh, emoji on primer what is a highly record what is highly recommended for gw models i'd prefer not to get something from gw but it is not strikeout symbol an option i literally have no strikeout symbol where to buy spray on primer either i'm posting here because in the painting paint palette and then paint brush groups it goes against the rules to ask good god <laughs> This person must be a joy to be around. So they're saying, I'll, I'll recap this for you. GW used to make a primer called Imperial Primer. GW no longer makes an Imperial Primer. Now, Imperial Primer, to my recollection, is years and years old. I mean, maybe decades old. I, I don't recall, but I don't think any of their modern line from the last couple years is called Imperial Primer. I could be wrong, but either way. GW apparently no longer makes it according to this stupid person. I do not like spray-on primer. I will not use spray-on primer. Okay, who is this, Sam I Am? Like, I do not like primer, Sam I Am. I will not use spray primer, Sam I Am. What is a good brand of black paint on primer? It's like, do you not have Google? Like, why wouldn't you just Google this? And by the way, my suggestion is Vallejo brush-on primer because I love it. I've, I'm sure I've said this before, but I'm not much of a Vallejo person because my local store doesn't carry it, and I support my local store, so I, I buy Citadel. But um, the Abaddon Black, no, not Abaddon Black, whatever the primer, brush-on primer is GW used to sell, oh, that might be the Imperial Primer. That might be it. Anyway, I bought like three different pots of that and within like a week, all of them became like chunky and gross. So it was not reconstitutable. I tried to shake it up. I tried to mix it up with a stick. I did all sorts of things and it was just clumpy. So the Vallejo stuff was like $15, but it was like 12 ounces of primer. I mean, think about that for a second. A paint pot is what, half an ounce, something like that. This was like 12 ounces for $15. It was way, way better priced than the GW Primer. And I've had that bottle of primer for multiple years. I would bet five years. I've had it forever. 
and it's uh, probably about 20% full now. I've, I've got to get another bottle, but it is well worth it. It's got a snap-on cap. It squirts out. It's fantastic. So, but this this person, good God, you, you can't just... And that's that's another one of my problems that people have when they ask questions to groups is that they don't do any of their own research. They're just like, hey, can you tell me whatever? Like, for instance... This person I just saw earlier posted on one of the Facebook groups, and this is a pretty innocuous post, like it's not being inflammatory or anything, but they said, how much is the points per model for a single guardsman? And I'm like, uh, you can't find that out on your own? Take the unit, actually the codex says per model, I believe. Isn't that the way the new codexes are? They say per model? I don't know, I use Battlescribe usually. But I'm pretty sure it's like blank per model, so you can look that up very easily. And God knows there's enough free resources online, you can tell how many points a guardsman is. But I, whatever, I guess I'm whining at this point. Anyway, this has been a lot of fun to read these whiny comments, and I just love some wine. Thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show, and thank you to my beautiful sexy Patreon smelling... Patreon patrons, uh, thank you for supporting the show. If you'd like to support, I would really love it. Um, it's patreon.com slash pimpcron. And I don't know if it's two Ps or one P. Ugh, I don't know. But I am slowly changing everything back over to two Ps. I'll see you next week, guys. Thanks for listening.